When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, and we are going to talk about Olivia Rodrigo. This is actually the second time already that we've had a chance to talk about Olivia. We were pretty early talking about her on an episode in February, which also delved into the greatest debut songs of all time, and that I think some people were like, Really, they're already putting her with the best debut songs of all time. And aren't they a little too excited about this artist with one song? And those people were wrong. We were right. Yay. (laughs) Because, you know, her album, Sour, is just a, uh, you know, provides a plethora of delights. Uh, She is basically the biggest new artist of the year. There is, unfortunately, a country guy named Morgan Wallen who is perhaps best known for uttering a racist slur, and he technically topped the sales equivalence charts over Olivia. I would recommend checking out our colleague Amy X. Wang's piece about that and how no one really wants to reckon with that. But she's right. No one wants to reckon with that. I don't want to reckon with that. We're going to talk about <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo because we like her better. That is our right. So it just seemed like a good time. Part of it, of course, is that Olivia was in the White House this week. And what a charming visit that was, very much in the vein of Elvis Presley getting a vaccination back in the day. She came out there and told everyone to uh, to get a vaccination, told young people to get a vaccination, and was uh, very poised there on the uh, podium. In an incredibly iconic outfit, too. Yes, please. Those please, giant uh, white pumps, the very clueless sort of plaid suit, like clueless Elwood, just kind of, you know, in the White House, very... It, there's a lot of tweets about how it was very much like a new rom-com, like a new White House rom-com was like about to emerge. And she's like the first daughter or something. It's very good outfit. Yeah. An absolutely fantastic, beautiful and historic moment that <laughs> let us know America is back. You know, like America that. is back and sadder than ever. <laughs> absolutely. You know, you didn't mean what you sang in that song about America, but America is back. Um, and it's brutal out here. It's brutal in the White House. And also love that her visit to the White House was the exact one year anniversary of her getting her driver's license. Oh, wow. my God. Imagine like <laughs> this year, this year, of, as Jen Psaki would say, traversing red lights and stop signs to, the best. to arrive at the podium in the White House. The thing about Olivia, speaking of proving us right about everything. <laughs> I have to point out that, you know, I, we did this episode a few years ago, and I was kind of at least pushing the argument whether I believed it or not about whether, you know, rock is dead. And certainly the traditional idea of rock is bands being at the top of the charts is, has seen better days. But Rob and I think Bernie as well, we're, we're just making the obvious point that, you know, Taylor Swift is rock. You know, Taylor Swift is the rock star. And I think what obviously as her writing credits (laughs) tend to suggest, you know, Olivia saw that as much as anyone. And she's an heir to Alanis Morissette. She's an heir to 
I mean, if Taylor Swift can have heirs at her very uh, young point in her career and, and progress from Lord, but and from Paramore and Elvis Costello and, and, and just taking on these traditions in a way that, that I find utterly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of wild to think, especially like the specific kind of rock that's come back this year, I guess over the last year, where you've seen like this pop punk revival more specifically where Good For You really fits into that. And I feel like Brutal is like a little bit grungier, but also sort of has that same sort of early 2000s emo pop punk fusion going on. And I mean, that's also um, a credit to Dan Nigro, who comes from the emo scene, and that's his roots in music. But we've seen that come back so much, like Willow making the pivot to pop punk, which has been incredible. We've seen sort of like this Avril Lavigne come back, um, of course, the Machine Gun Kelly album, and basically so many artists have been kind of toying with it. And we're seeing this kind of, you know, it's like the perfect sort of angsty music. And there is so much angst already in Olivia's ballads. Like they are just about this like great teenage heartbreak. And so it feels right. Like it felt like kind of weird at first, I think to people that were like only new driver's license that all of a sudden we were like at this kind of Paramore-esque song, like Good For You also blowing up. But it makes sense. Like Everyone's so angsty. We've just spent a year inside. Like it's an ongoing pandemic. There's like so much to be angsty about. And like life is just weird. And you're a teenager. And like, why not? kind of have that ennui come out with just uh, a lot of guitars and just saying, who am I have not exploited? It's all very perfect and appropriate. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what's going on with this sort of, I I hesitate to say rock revival, but a revival of elements of of rock in the pop mainstream. And, you know, the other big player in it, of course, is through the artist he works with, but Jack Antonoff uh, was talking to me about the fact that both in his mind and everyone he works with, Taylor, Lord, et cetera, et cetera, down the line, even Lana Del Rey, there, there's been this feeling over the past, whatever, couple years, that the thing to do now is to go back to what he called an organic sound. Mm-hmm. Everyone was, suddenly was excited about, and you started to see it on Lover, I think, you know, where all of a sudden there was this sound of a, of a band in the room, even if the band was actually just Jack Antonoff. But there was this push towards, hey, guitars, drums, but finding ways to make it modern from his end. And on the other end, there is this, as, as Brittany was talking about, this pop punk thing that's happening big time. And that's someone else I talked to recently, Travis Barker, uh, is weirdly like this weird big force behind that, behind the Machine Gun Kelly album. And it's so interesting to see Olivia take from both of those things and become the biggest new artist of the year. It's like she's the she's at the forefront of whatever's uh, happening. Rob, what do you make of that aspect of the of all this? Well, it's yet another facet of the Taylor factor, right? That the idea of the rock star that you know she all the way stepped into from the very beginning and basically has redefined the rock star for this century. And so you know the rock star moves that she's been doing. You know, she was still a literal teenager when she was bringing Def Leppard on CMT so they could jam together on Pour Some Sugar On Me. You know, she's never been coy about aspiring to rock stardom, a guitar hero. And we're, we're seeing her influence just everywhere in terms of, I mean, I, as you know, from like the times we've talked about, you know, the rock is back thing before. I like just so little patience for the like, oh, rock is dead thing that, you know, people have been saying, you know, since... Uh- 
I like to say Rock is dead once in a while just to like see, yeah, see you I flush. Know. I'm yeah. really sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. You know, like people have been saying that constantly since the 80s, probably since before that. It's always so demonstrably untrue. But, you know, it's funny to think of people saying this now while Good For You is the number one song in the country pretty much all summer long. And just a huge example of the Taylor effect. I remember seeing Taylor on stage for the first time. It was the Speak Now tour this audience full of little girls who were just hanging on all the guitar moves. And I was like, all these girls are going to start bands. I can't wait. And, you know, now we're at the age where like all those girls, that's the Olivia, Billy, Lord generation that Taylor has kind of like willed into being like Springsteen willed, you know, John Cougar and Brian Adams and everybody into being. But that Taylor influence is really kind of amazing. My favorite moment personally from the White House appearance yesterday is when Jen Psaki is introducing Olivia before she steps to the podium and she's like, oh, she's, you know, like, you know, Disney TV star, da, 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 and, and says the word singer songwriter and Olivia can't help herself and her polite little, you know, like smiling face. She just gives this confident little evil little smile smirk. It's really like this kind of power smirk and it's so awesome. It's so intense. She is so fucking proud of singer songwriter being there in that string of accolades and, and, and just to see her just you know, shameless flicker of uncontrollable pride at that. That was like kind of mind blowing for me. Really kind of beautiful example of how in this way and in so many other ways, Taylor just goes on changing the world. And just to add on to that too, like that idea that you mentioned about sort of the um, rock star-ness of Taylor Swift, I feel like with Olivia, she's kind of jumped in with that same amount of enthusiasm. You know, I don't know if you guys watched the Sour Prom. She was carrying herself like she had been performing these shows. Like that was like a show that she had been doing on tour for a year. Like it felt like a finale to that. It was just like such a confident display from her and so good. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's talk a little more about Good For You because it is a moment. Good for you, I guess you moved on really easily. You found a new girl and it only took a couple weeks. Remember when you said that you I think it's very cleverly done on a production level. I think Dan, the producer, deserves a lot of credit and Olivia as well. But just, just for the, the arrangement and the way it, it brings the rock stuff in and out in a way that feels very modern. It feels like a Pro Tools era rock influence song rather than a straight ahead rock song which as i understand from talking to travis barker and other people that that is kind of the trick because you, you can't just do you can't just rock like it's 1993 or else you just sound like 1993 so it just really works in the end you know she's a great lyricist and it does bear a resemblance to uh to a paramore song but so what like does that it doesn't bother me yeah <laughs> what, 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 it reminds me so much too of like 
the Freaky Friday band, Pink Slip. It gives me so much like movie pop punk band vibes. And that's like the first thing that I thought of with that song. Oh, the, the Freaky Friday band is one of the greatest bands of all time. They I mean, that, that's very a, good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, like it's that and it's, you know, Toasting the Pussycats. It's, you know, Lemonade Mouth. It's mm-hmm. got that perfect, you know, in a movie, this would be the girl punk band kind of sound. It's And it's really like, yeah, it's really amazing that way. The pink slip comparison is really kind of genius. I think that's all. A whole fascinating topic is the subterranean pink slip influence on <laughs> modern pop culture. Well, it's very interesting that now now we're really going to detour. There's reasons why I've seen the movie Freaky Friday about 10 times in the last few years. This is my domestic situation. And <laughs> so, yeah, there was this band called Lash from Australia. And they had this song called Take Me Away. And it is the song that they perform in the uh, Freaky Friday talent show that Jamie Lee Curtis has to pretend to play guitar on and all that. And yes, if you listen to that song and kind of multiply that by Paramore's Misery Business, and if you <laughs> kind of bring in the other stuff, a little Alanis, you do start to get towards the uh, end, as Rob said, uh, Josie and the Pussycats, <laughs> for sure, which uh, allows me to uh, present Adam Duritz as an influence on all this. Uh, that makes me very... Everything Adam Duritz. back to Duritz. <laughs> Adam Duritz, unheralded co-writer of, of a, a couple of the great songs on the Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> album. So we get to bring it back to Adam Duritz, which always makes me happy. Six Degrees of Mr. Jones is constantly <laughs> fascinating to me. The Duritz centricity of, the, of that worldview is inspiring to me. The nucleus of pop music, Mr. Jones by Kevin Everything Crows. is just a little more funky than Bob Dylan. <laughs> I just want Rob to ease up a little bit on Kevin Crows. I, I'll, I'll get there someday. What, 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 what? Yeah, I know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not anti- I t- Man, we've karaoke'd a long December together. That's true. Don't don't try to turn me into a Duritz phobe. I I love. But that imagine man. it's the power pop counting crows that we got to hear just not enough of, like Einstein on the beach. But anyway, we digress. We digress. One of the things that is phenomenal about the Olivia Rodrigo album is that it begins with a blatant homage to Elvis Costello. And that's when I knew, oh, we're really in some different territory in the song <laughs> Brutal. Because, you know, who does that in 2021? And it is just as much of an evolution of it as Pump It Up, which is the song that is interpolated or, or paid homage to, was of Subterranean Homesick Blues. And Elvis Costello, charmingly, posted a rare tweet to make it clear that he was absolutely delighted by it because of course he is like he want you know it's who else is paying tribute to elvis costello on the pop charts in 2021 and there's also someone brought up a story where uh (laughs) bob dylan was was giving uh gave an elaborate sort of verbal prank to elvis costello telling him that that aren't you mad about what you two did to your song they stole it from you man and elvis was like had no idea what he's talking about then he realized that he was talking about the song get on your boots which sounds a little bit like Pump It Up and a lot like Subterranean Homesick Blues. <laughs> and so this is Dylan decades later giving him shit about Pump It Up, which is amazing. But again, a side note. I but, just want to point uh, out, no one's keeping Elvis Costello, his legacy alive more than the Disney kids. Because I remember when I was a teenager, Nick Jonas was a huge Elvis Costello fan. Like he would talk about Elvis Costello all the time. And so all the comments on the video for Allison on YouTube would be like, Nick Jonas brought me here. Like all of the comments were for many years, 
I don't think they are on there anymore. I don't think people are going to Elvis Costello videos because of Nick Jonas anymore. But there's a, a, a legacy of Disney kids bringing people, bringing new generations to listen to Elvis Costello. I'd like to give credit where credit is due. At the, brilliant point. And, and Nick Jonas was always saying that. I remember like he said, I think it was one of the Rolling Stone cover stories. Oh, he talked about it a lot in like the first Rolling Stone cover. Because yeah. he talked about like Allison. I, that's... I, he, I he told to Jenny Ellis his favorite song of all time was I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea, yeah. which is like deep cut, kind of. And, yeah. You know, it's like it's not even in the U.S. version Huge of the fan. album. He would talk about him all the time. Let's talk about that song, Brutal, specifically beyond the, the obvious pump it up thing, because it's just it, it's for anyone who wasn't clear from Good For You. It, it just is one of those first tracks. It's a signifier like this is going to be something a little different. Yeah. This is going to be something very specific. Brutal out of here. A great opening track. I was shook to my core when I heard it. <laughs> the three songs that we heard from her were so different. Driver's License being this big ballad. Deja Vu, like, not being like a full ballad, but like a little bit more like of an indie pop song. And then you have Good For You coming right before the album. Like, it was like anyone's guess what the entire tone of the album would be. We All we knew is it was a breakup album. Like, we, we knew it was going to be a lot of heartbreak lyrics and it was I, I just yeah it was like kind of cool and amazing to kind of get this like grungy riffy song that's like all super angsty and just where's my fucking teenage dream like stuff like that it's just incredible like such a good purely teen song and just like really fun I love that song so much it's like the one that I, I think I listened to the most from the album but yeah it just it was again like really anyone's guess what the tone of the album would be and also just like the lead up for it. It's like Brutal a Traitor, like that kind of very dramatic ending to Brutal. Very like um almost kind of like a like a Disney musical almost where it's like setting the scene for this sort of story of how this relationship crumbled and it's just it's yeah, it was very, very good. Brutal it's also in the lineage of iconic opening songs on debut albums, which that's such a perfect place to make your mission statement as an artist. And you think of like the all-time great first songs on debut albums. You know, you think of Welcome to the Jungle on Appetite for Destruction, the NWA beginning straight out of Compton, something about like, you know, Public Enemy with You're Gonna Get Yours on Yo Bummer's The Show, something about like the first song on the first album as a throwing down the gauntlet, making the kind of manifesto thing. Olivia does that so brilliantly with Brutal. Mm-hmm. Teenage Angst has paid off well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Not a debut album. Please don't anyone think I'm saying that. But it's it's in, you know, kind of like, you know, a long punk tradition, you know, like it it, it sounds a ton like Elastica, which, you know, like is what I thought the first time I heard it. It sounds a lot like, you know, punk groups like X-Ray Specs or the Buzzcocks. It's very much like X-Ray Specs, I Can't Do Anything, which is a, a great old 1977 punk song by polystyrene pioneering uh, London punk singer and you know just teenage girl around Olivia's age singing really kind of like very similar lyrics about all the things she can't do. I can't dance and I can't walk. I can't even try to and you know she can't parallel park, and it's such a beautifully defiant sort of opening song for the album. It really kind of it really sets the tone. I feel like teenage angst has weirdly not been as much of a, a, a topic 
for a while, and it just reminds you of the currency and power of a really of some really good, just full on classic teenage angstiness yeah. when presented so artfully. Just works, and you know, I, I will say there was this there was this odd thing. As much as we think all the like sort of rockism battles have been fought and all the kind of music snobbery stuff has been fought, there was this weird thing where there was there was some sort of I don't know like I hesitate to characterize them, but but you know, a couple of music writers who are maybe a little crankier were getting mad that adults like this album, and I, I find that so deeply peculiar. I tweeted about it at the time. Yeah. I, 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 I what that the hell is that? Maybe one of the most frustrating discourses because I think what's happened and why we sort of lack that same sort of teenage angst, right, that we got, again, from pop punk, from, you know, like, I think of, like, Avril Lavigne, and I think of, you know, just, like, like, any sort of, like, young artist kind of being, like, okay, like, I'm a teenager, life sucks, and, like, this is what's going on. And I think we just, like, expect for teenage artists to be taken seriously to present themselves as older and to present themselves as sort of, like, wanting to be an adult. And if you think specifically about more recent sort of like the teen prodigy singer songwriter lords the billy eilish's like they present older they present sort of like music that is sort of you can forget that it's by a teenager because it sounds sort of different like other than royals by lord everything else sort of sounds like this can be made by like a 20 something pop star but it's just that's what makes it so weird too because it's like but the things that they were singing about weren't much different like it was still coming from the perspective of a teenager and there was still all this stuff why is it suddenly like why is it suddenly so weird to listen to a really great singer songwriter who is just writing about her life and writing about this and it's probably also like the disney thing and it's probably also you know taylor swift dealt with that a lot and so it's probably that influence being so transparent for olivia and you know it's a a mixture of things. It's also like her music presents her music and her image presents as more like hyper femme than Billy or Lord or any sort of the again, the other sort of post Taylor Swift kind of teen pop star kind of prodigies that present themselves in pop culture. And so I think it's a mixture of those things. It was like the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest discourse because I was just like there have been so many teen artists that we've celebrated over years so many years like so many who are so talented and so incredible and like they have made as good music and it's weird that all of a sudden like everyone's just like oh my god i can't believe i'm like 28 listening to songs you've been listening to songs about high school breakups (laughs) yesterday like you were probably bumping taylor swift's first album the other day like that's also a teenage heart you know you're it's all there it's all the same stuff and it's just like a more sort of Again, hyper femme and still very much like I am a teenager and I am literally singing about my teenage issues. And like she reminds you that every single song. There's probably, you know, as usual, some embedded sort of misogyny in there, which is what what I think you're yeah. <laughs> in reaction to the, the hyper femme presentation. And, you know, because it's but it's, you know, yeah, sure. What's <laughs> definitely misogyny, sexism, part of it, you know, unconscious. I'm not accusing anyone specific of anything. But but when I'm talking more about the the general that general thing, like, how dare you take this seriously? How dare you enjoy it? It's yeah. like it's like, haven't we been through this like 400 times? We're really doing this. It was it was wild. And it's also uh, like very purely pop. Olivia is a pop singer. And I think like people like with Taylor, like it was easier to be like, she's a country singer. And there's sort of that like, you know, th- I think there was a little bit, at least from what I maybe just like how I remember the discourse, but I was also a teenager. So I don't remember that much, but at least they were able to 
sort of be like, okay, she's a singer-songwriter and country, like, that makes sense. But, like, she's a, you know, Olivia's presenting herself in this very Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Tiger Bee aesthetic and writing her own songs. And I think that there's a disconnect for people that's happening where they're just like, I cannot compute that those two things are happening simultaneously. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that Olivia is also that she's so unapologetically rock and roll in her identification. And people were super dismissive of that aspect of what Taylor Swift did, even when it was super, super obvious. You know, even after an album like Red, you know, people would get really mad if you would call her a, a rock artist. And for Olivia to be very, very blatantly an artist inspired by, by rock and, and inspired to make rock and inspired to rock and be a full-blown rock star without compromising, as, as you said, her being hyper femme and being, you know, very explicitly teenage. It's really kind of remarkable. It's fascinating how many times we have to go through this, but it is it is weird that the very people who should have been most happy about a, a rock influence artist doing this well were the people who seem most mad. But I will just <coughs> point out... Court, point Courtney. Out. <coughs> Courtney. Oh, well, that Courtney. was another thing. Yeah, <laughs> Courtney, well, Courtney talk, talk about like getting a gift basket on your porch and like setting it on fire and burning your own house down and like, requesting op- an extra bouquet of flowers. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> absolute opposite of Elvis Costello in terms of absolutely misplaying a gift from the young generation. <laughs> One person grew up from their nasty old habits and another did not, I guess. But yes, like, yeah, Courtney Love couldn't graciously receive it as the way that Elvis Costello did, she felt threatened by it. And I think that's just, it's its sad, right? It's sad. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a person who's like, we should be giving our Courtney Love her flowers more, right? Oh, like, for I'm sure. Like, absolutely, 100%. like, the influence she's had on so much stuff is immense. But, like, I don't know. It was such a weirdly specific thing, too, because it's like, the sad prom aesthetic <laughs> was not invented by Live Through This. Iconic album cover. But there was the film Carrie. You know, like, there's, like, so many things. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like so I was like first off that existed um the into- every John Hughes film like I was like there's so many things that predate that and I understood to a point right like I got like the colors are similar blah blah, blah. but like I was like this is not it's, it's not like a total reach but I was like to get so upset over it is a bit much when your aesthetic for it was in fact also a copy of other stuff it's just yes. a very weirdly it's not like I don't know Courtney she Love been fur- like, furiously taking down Brian De Palma and Stephen King in her Instagram story. Yeah. Just, well, well, yeah. But also, like, that's a, you know, the sad prom thing is a rock and roll tradition. You know, yeah. like, Leslie Gore singing It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. Connie Francis singing Lipstick on Your Collar. You know, there's there's a tradition of, of those songs in rock and roll. And really incredibly strange for an artist like Courtney to, to get a massive compliment like that and totally misplay it into... Yeah like one of the most disastrous social media self owns of the summer. Yeah. And I, I think it's, again, you know, like there have been a lot of moments where she hasn't gotten credit. And I think that her sort of, she's sort of been having a little bit of a, a pop culture renaissance, especially on Instagram. And I think she has, she misused the moment <laughs> and sort of <laughs> coming for something that again was not, if she were in like the Elvis Costello position and she wanted to get mad that there was like a riff or something pulled out and then, you know, like whatever, like, that's a different argument. But I was like, the sad prom thing, that's simply not an invention of Holes Live Through This. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I also, I, I love Courtney Love. I love Hole. The, her records 
held up. I've just, I've actually been on a big hole kick. Uh, so no, no disrespect there. I mean, like she, she's awesome. And I also, and at the same time to almost go back on what I said, it's sad, but I also do get it. If you just, if you're feeling like everyone loved, was giving you the flowers that you deserve, you wouldn't lash out like that. It was yeah. just unfortunate that she chose to lash out at, at, at in the wrong spot. You wouldn't and I receive hope- the flowers and then set them on fire. Isn't that a lyric from Live Through This? <laughs> I, um, I think <laughs> it's a lyric from uh, Good For You, actually. Like, but, it did. But, oh, no, I was just going to say, it set off such like a big... I, there's a great Pitchfork article by Quinn Moreland that I want to shout out that went up yesterday about who owns the teen girl aesthetic. And I think mm. that really set off a big conversation about it just because there was a lot of this idea that Olivia Rodrigo had ripped off pom-pom squad for the cheerleader aesthetic which again like not invented by one band or like slut ever like it, you know it's like stuff like that where i think there's a big conversation about that and also saying that those bands ripped off rookie magazine and petra collins who directed the good for you video and also shot our billy eilish cover like you know there's been such a conversation around where does this start and who does it end with and it's one of those things where those are just such big not even pop like huge cultural facets that people grew up with. And in Olivia Rodrigo's case, didn't have the high school experience and has been very sort of like, I'm recreating that in the aesthetic of my like sort of last year as a teenager, kind of making my own prom and dressing up as a cheerleader in this video. Um, so it, it's been a very fascinating sort of conversation around it that's sort of ended in nothing. <laughs> so we, Yes, and we can confirm, yes, Olivia Rodrigo did not invent being a teenage girl. Uh, yeah. that, that, is, that is true. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to return to the success of Good For You. As Rob pointed out, it's a huge number one song, and that is really significant, you know, in part because it has loud, distorted guitars on it. And Travis Barker, who would know better than anyone what the sort of parameters are for commercial pop punk influenced music right now was even recently still under the impression that if you put loud distorted guitars on a song that it can't really be played on pop radio that's something that radio programmers have actually put up a wall against and i've heard that from other people over the last few years that that's they think that's 90s they think that you know signifies something that they are no longer want to be involved with and here we have a song that so blatantly and proudly uses that sound and rocks so hard and awesomely, and it's the number one song. That is significant, I would say, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, there's that, and there's also, um, there's a, like a rock band blowing up too. Like the top two on Spotify are like Good For You and like all these songs by Monskin who won the who won Eurovision, who are like kind of like 70s glam rock. It's like people just like are, are into it right now. Where does it go from here? Because this is one of the – everything obviously is sped up now. And I think that's the other thing we're seeing is just like the speed with which this happened strikes me as fairly incredible. So what are your predictions for the future? Not even with Olivia Rodrigo. What's going to happen over the next five years in uh, geopolitically, um, <laughs> socially? I, I think, Rob, you can nail this. Tell, tell us everything. Well, okay. First things first. <laughs> Olivia becomes eligible to run for president in the 2036 <laughs> election. And I'm already calling it, you know, Swift Rodrigo, change we can <laughs> believe in. No more damn sociopaths. It's going to be a beautiful thing. I think that this is a real step in the right direction for the future. I'm super excited about all the kids who are hearing Olivia Rodrigo now and, you know, writing their own songs in their head the way Olivia did when she heard Taylor as a little girl. And 
there is this stuff in the past that we can use to address right now. And Olivia is a, a brilliant artist who's using it in a brilliant and totally original and I think going to be hugely influential way. Yeah. I think also we can't underestimate so much of, you know, there's a reason why Zoomers are called the Doomer generation. Like, I think there's a lot of political anxiety, climate anxiety, social anxiety. Um, You know, we have a lot of people like Olivia who, again, graduated in the middle of a pandemic, either from high school or college, and like are suddenly thrusted into the world as adults at a very unprecedented time for everyone, you know, and I can see that anxiety and that anger very specifically manifesting itself even more so in music over the next few years from young artists because we're seeing that so much now like I spend so much time on TikTok and so many of the video like a lot of kids are just like sad and angry and kind of just like this you know it is what it is like the world just like sucks and you know I think there's a lot of that coming out in the music and I think that's going to be expressed even more as time goes on and we get more artists like Olivia coming out and coming through. And again, we've already seen that with like Billy too, like that, that music has like a lot of angst and a lot of sadness. And I think we're going to be seeing that a lot more from really young artists who are just manifesting that. And again, like pop punk and, and sort of being able to like scream out things like good for you. I hope you're happy and healthy. Not me. Like stuff like that is going to be super prevalent. The need to call out sociopaths will always be there as well. In a minute, we're going to play Brittany's interview with Olivia and her producer, Dan Nigro, about the making of the song Deja Vu. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to set that up in a minute. I, I did want to say another thing we've never addressed that because it's just so silly is people not only, of course, beyond declaring rock dead, people have declared pop dead and pop singers dead, which is preposterous. You know, obviously, like, Hip hop deserves to rule the world and will continue to do so. But there's, you know, there's always going to be room for pop songs. Like that's just, I think the the idea that that could just like disappear is so absurd to me that it, I don't even know if we need to even. I think that's all I'll say is that this just proves how completely absurd that was. That was just a very premature obituary. <laughs> Brittany, maybe set up this clip and talk a, a little bit about that particular song because we actually didn't yet. So that's perfect. So I did a a Zoom interview with Olivia and Dan a few months ago. Like Sour was, I think, just announced and Deja Vu was about to come out. And we spoke from their studio as they were kind of putting the finishing touches on Sour about Deja Vu and about the making of it and sort of dug into all the deep cut lines, talked about um, Taylor's impact on the song, a lot of just like really fun little tidbits about how they had never seen Glee and just decide to throw in that Billy Joel line last minute. But yeah, so we, we kind of, we dug into the nitty gritty of the making of Deja Vu, which was super fun. And Brittany, before we go to your great interview, we have to talk about something that they revealed in this interview. That's kind of obvious, which is the influence of Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift on the, uh, the shouty part of that song. Olivia is, is influenced both by the talking parts of Taylor Swift songs and the shouty parts. <laughs> the best parts. Uh, the best parts, absolutely. True uh, she, she's, she has inherited the the, uh, the ability to have awesome talking parts and screaming parts. But in this case, the screaming parts, she, after your interview, she went as far as to give songwriting credit. This is the second time this happened on the album to uh, Taylor and Jack yeah. Antonoff the, and St. Vincent, <laughs> who everyone forgets uh, worked on, on Cruel Summer. So why do we think that 
she gave that credit because I seriously doubt that like Taylor's people were were pressing her to do so. Yeah. So the other credit is one step forward, three three steps back, which appropriately has the the one in three, the infamous thirteen from Swifty and Lore, and that song sort of interpolates the piano part from New Year's Day, and so that was on the album that was on the album credits before the album came out. And right. with Deja Vu, we had spoken about it, actually. Um, the video came out the week after Deja Vu came out, but the interview had happened a few weeks before, and it was, like, the first thing I had noticed with the stream where I was like, this reminds me so much of the screaming parts in Cruel Summer, which is, like, such a great bridge. And Olivia had her first interaction with Taylor was actually her covering Cruel Summer, I believe, like, in 2020 or 2019 or something. So she talked about how sort of that screaming part was kind of you know, not screaming, but like more like yelling bridge portion was a a big inspiration for her to do the same for the bridge in Deja Vu. And I'm sure it was just, you know, kind of just like probably a legal thing. I think there's been so many comparisons with her music to like Paramore and Elvis Costello. And I, I think like for her to give credit to Taylor was probably just, you know, wanted to just not have (laughs) any trouble down the line. I feel like so many artists just do that now just to be careful. Um, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know. I think it's like, it seems more like an inspiration. I don't hear Cruel Summer in the song. Like, they are two very different songs to me. But it's just that style is very Swiftian. And I I don't know. That's my opinion on it, is that I don't think she needed to give the credit to Taylor and Jack and St. Vincent. But it's fun that she did. It's a nice, to have two Taylor co-writes on your debut album as a huge fan is like, probably very exciting to just be able to see for her but total shout out it's it's really beautiful i think it was just pure out of pure respect i think it was pure just like i'm bowing like wayne and garth i think it was just like that i think it was just like i love you so much that that i'm doing this even though i truly don't have to yeah sort of like a game of thrones like a here is my tribute (laughs) you know my queen it's like robert de niro in goodfellas after the lafansa heist you know like Polly didn't set it up but you know he did the right thing he paid a tribute to Polly, you know, so Paul Servina got a take of, of that heist that he had nothing to do with. And I it, do love all the Swifties being like, finally, Cruel Summer single after waiting so long for Cruel Summer to be a single from Lover. One of my great regrets as a person not on Taylor Swift's team, but who cannot make those decisions for her. But yeah, so they're just like, Deja Vu is a single, makes up for <laughs> Cruel Summer not being a single. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how she's treating like Taylor Swift and Elvis Costello the way that Bob Dylan treated like Blind William McTell or whatever. <laughs> just just like take the little bits. But in her case, credit, <laughs> mostly. Yeah. Well, and also like, I love how she's treating Billy Joel the way Billy Joel treated the Four Seasons. You know, like, oh, this is like my tip of the cap. You know, the idea that Uptown Girl is, you know, this plot thing. And I love in your conversation with her, Brittany, about, you know, how they talk about how the, the Billy Joel thing just kind of yeah. like happened to the song because it's such a mind blowing plot <laughs> twist in the song. Let's at last hear Brittany Spanos's conversation with Olivia Rodrigo and her producer, Dan Nigro, about the creation of the song Deja Vu. Do you get Deja Vu? So Dan and I wrote this song together in like the end of August 2020. I think we're actually like 
trying to write another like sadder song and it like wasn't working and so Dan was like well, what other ideas do you have in my notes app on my phone I have like all of these you know poems and like just like weird song concepts and one of the like little hook lines that I had was um, when she's with you do you get deja vu I just think deja vu is really cool I get deja vu all the time and I think it's like a really interesting phenomenon and so I thought it would be like a cool way to talk about deja vu, to talk about like, you know, when you break up with someone and they move on, sometimes you watch them on social media or whatever and they're living the same life that like you lived, like with another partner. That can be sort of frustrating and I feel like that's a really like universal, relatable thing that doesn't really get like talked about a ton and so I thought that would be a cool way to talk about deja vu and like make it fun and relationshipy. I'd say maybe like half for like 75% of the songs that are on my project and that we make together, I sort of will write like a verse and a chorus and Dan will help me finish it and polish it up. But with Deja Vu actually, we wrote that together. in a session together. Like I, I, I said I wanted to write something with When She's With You, Do You Get Deja Vu? And we sort of created that like whole world together and, and wrote all the lyrics and the melodies together. I think Dan actually came up with the lyric. I think you came up with the Malibu thing. Did I? Yeah, you said Malibu and I was like, oh, I can like see that. And Dan was like, what's your favorite ice cream? And it was like strawberry and so we were like, strawberry ice cream and Malibu. Strawberry ice cream. In Malibu, don't act like we didn't do all that too. As a clean version, <laughs> but I feel like the line that I, I most recall was the watching reruns of Glee. Yes. I was like, I was like, I was like <laughs> watch, but I know I've never no, watched Glee. No, neither of us have ever like watched Glee, but we're like watching reruns of Glee. Heck yeah! And Dan actually came up with the Billy Joel lyric too, which is my like probably my favorite lyric in the thing. Just trying to make Long Island represent as much as possible <laughs> in this, you know. Oddly enough, like, I feel like the lyrics came so fast. I feel like with Deja Vu, it was like every idea that we came up with was, was actually like kind of like, oh yeah, let's just go with that. It was like, try not to overthink it. Yeah, you know? I remember I did write a second <clears throat> verse, though. We wrote the verse in the chorus, and then I like went home because it was like late, and I wrote a second verse the next day that was like too serious. Because the fun thing about Deja Vu is it's like kind of like funny and like tongue-in-cheek a little bit. And so I remember me writing like a serious one, and you were like, no, I gotta keep it I think it, like, that's a constant theme sometimes with yeah. the is that it gets serious. I feel like that was driver's license the same way. Like the first bridge for driver's license was so emo and like, there's like, I think we should make it more playful, right? (laughs) I'm very emo and Dan was in an emo band and he still tells me I'm emo. Like that's how you know you're really emo. My favorite thing about working with Dan is if I write something that's bad, he's like, you can do better than that. (laughs) And we like don't even entertain the idea. So it saves time. This song was definitely like the hardest song to make. For yeah. some reason, the pr- the production part was really difficult because also Olivia went to Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Yeah. So like the song wasn't actually finished being written, I think, when she left. I prefer when Olivia's in the room because like she can tell me in real time if she likes like a sound or doesn't like a sound. There were a lot of moments where like we didn't have like a, the right lyric or something and Olivia would like go in the car and I'd be like, just sing this yeah. into your iPhone. Because it was so difficult with the pandemic to get into a recording studio. There was like so much of that going back and forth in with the song. And I think it was also a little difficult for me because I'm very much like a singer songwritery ballad type girl and this song is not like that at all. It's like a really like cool mid-tempo pop song. And so I think like finding like my footing in that genre of music took like a little bit of time Mm -hmm. and took a little bit of trial and error. Olivia and Dan shared some of the original recordings for the song and pointed out the intricate details and surprises on the track. And this was the original guitar that we wrote it to. This is really cool. I know, I always like this one. I had the original version of the song, like the very first demo that I don't think anybody ever even like 
heard this version except for me and maybe you. I don't even think I have. So this is the original idea. What we ended up using it was the Wurlitzer and like this toy piano mixed together, which is like the main sound. And like, I just wanted to feel somewhat like, I guess psychedelic's the word. I just wanted to feel like a little off-putting. I really love that. I love like how the verse is so like serene almost. It's like, like it's like painfully calm. Because the lyrics are so saccharine in the beginning, purposefully to like let you into the chorus. What's clever about the song is that like the chorus is not what you expect. You just don't expect the lyrics to turn to what they turn into. So I think it's about that as like to kind of like engage the listener in a way that makes them feel like they don't actually know what they're about to get. When they say, saying I love you in between uh, the chorus and the verse, I think Do you want to give that away? You want to give it away? <laughs> yeah, I'll give it away. Yeah, okay, give it away? Okay. Well, so only like like a couple people like pick up on it, but I like whisper like I love you in the track, and like it's like super buried. And my A and R, who's like probably listened to the song, the poor guy, he's probably listened to the song like two hundred times because it went through so many mixes. He listened to it two hundred times and like never heard it, which I think is super cool. So I don't know if it like only certain people can hear it, but it's like really buried and like very subtle. Love her. That was another Salt Lake City car recording. Oh, there was a record. Yeah, oh, yeah. These guitars are iPhone recording guitars, which is fun. And then obviously the, the jazz vacuum. Okay, so uh, actually, one of my Dan <laughs> refuses to call saxophones saxophones and insists that we call them jazz vacuums. <laughs> and um, there's actually a lot of jazz vacuums on Olivia's <laughs> recordings, so. One of my favorite parts is I, I had an incredible musician named Ryan do a lot of flutes and saxophone in this song, which I just think sound incredible. All these. one day and I was like, Dan, I hate deja vu. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't want to put it out. The second verse is boring and if I was listening to it, I would just turn it off. I was like so sad. And he's like, well, if like, the second verse is boring, let's like make it more interesting. And so we like changed the melody and we put some like, well, I just like love like gang vocals. I love like yelling over the top of songs. Um, and so we like added some of that and then I, I feel like it like really raise the energy of the song a little bit. Well, we bit. tried so many things. Yeah. Well, you were still in Salt Lake, and, and you were like, it's, it's boring, the song is boring, so I like sped it up, and then I sped it up a little bit more, and I was like, I don't think it's the speed of the song, and then I tried adding like other instrumentation, and I was like, it started to sound weird. You just don't think like to change the song. Yeah. You're like trying to change the production for so long, like how do we make this more interesting with the production? But ultimately, at the end, it was like, oh no, we just have to actually make the song better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Get your friends to come in on a photo, just so you seem nice. Wait, that's a different song. This is a, no, it's not. 
This is a different melody. We have a lot of different ideas for this thing. Yeah, this was a this. Wait, was this a, is a worker. We we like worked on this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we ever actually knew when it was done. I think it just had to be done. We just, Literally, we, there was like the label was like, you have to turn it in by like today. And we were like, okay. <laughs> we wanted to write a bridge. I think that was like the last part that we wrote. I wanted to be like really high energy, because um, you know the rest of the song is like very like serene and like eerily calm. But I wanted like the last bridge to kind of like go crazy and I love Cruel Summer it's one of my favorite songs ever I love that like the yelly vocals in it like the harmonized yells that she does I feel like they're like super electric and like moving and so I wanted to do something like that and I love that um that little like that's like my favorite part of the production That was a fight. That, that was, was a, a fight too. That was a fight. We wanted to do a post-chorus, like a vocal post-chorus. Well, like... Yeah, I made the mistake of like printing, like, cause I got so excited about the song that I think I printed up a version for everyone to hear, like, check this out. And we didn't have a post-chorus, so I just like took Olivia's vocal and like made a little vocal chop. Yeah. And I kind of liked it. I know that it was like, felt like we were cheating by making a vocal chop, yeah. but like when the label heard it, everybody loved it. And Olivia was like, that's not going in the song. And like, I, yeah. I don't like vocal chops. It's like, do you, do well, I'll play it. <laughs> This was the original, original drop that happened. Do you get deja vu? I was like, I don't know, it's like not my thing at all. I love like synths, and that, it's actually a synth and the thing. It kind of sounds like a, a cool like warped guitar, which I yeah, like. Yeah, it's a Mellotron. It's just like yeah. a super distorted Mellotron sound. But I like love that sound, and it feels so like dirty and like raw. I'm happy we went there. I, I feel like I made the mistake of like making an no, early bounce because I was excited. Driver's license picked up steam much faster than Olivia ever could have imagined. I was curious how its immediate success affected the making of her second single. We chose this song to be to come out after Driver's License probably in September. Like we chose it a long time ago before yeah. Driver's License ever came out. You know, I didn't have to like choose the next single knowing that Driver's License kind of was this huge success. So that definitely took a lot of the pressure off. But us and, and my team really didn't want to like do the safe thing and like put out another heartbreak ballad. I just think, you know, people probably would resonate with that and they resonated with the driver's license but we really wanted to show that I'm a versatile songwriter and a versatile artist and I can write like heartbreak songs and I can also like make like cool like alternative pop songs and stuff like that so I just didn't want to be like pigeonholed into like the like heartbreak ballad kind of girl thing so yeah driver's license did give me a lot of confidence in, in that regard it's really true like people really resonate with authenticity you can have like this catchy melody and like the greatest production ever but truth and like vulnerability is really what people resonate with and that's always gonna stay the same no matter what genre of music you do, no matter if you do an up-tempo song or a down-tempo song. And it's also just like cool, like I just love writing songs and like driver's license means that probably other people are gonna like listen to my other songs, which is just such an added plus. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. And that is our show for today. You just heard Brittany Spanos again talking with producer, co-writer, Dan Nigro and Olivia Rodrigo herself. And thanks so much to Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Do leave us a nice review on iTunes if you can, on Apple Podcasts, actually. And, you know, if you're going to chide us for 
liking pop music, maybe just reconsider, just don't leave that review. But even if you don't like pop music, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.